Sensible chat. Budgeting made easy. Really easy. Welcome to Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby, the show that is all about budgeting, smart spending, and saving. This episode is all about cars. Don't let them drive you crazy. Just stay tuned with Sensible Bobby, and she's got some great tips. We're going to start with budgeting tips to help keep your current car in tip-top shape while planning ahead for your next vehicle. Our guest professor for Sensible University is Hugh Allen, general manager at Epic Auto, who will give you the inside scoop on how to buy a car without getting taken for a ride. And stick around after class for saving secrets where you'll learn a new tip you can use today. So let's get started. Let's jump into it, budget heads. Grab your calculator, grab your abacus, grab a pen, because now here's the sensei of savings, the hero of hard assets, helping you budget your bottom line. It is Sensible Bobby. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. And thanks, everybody, for dropping into the chat room today. For many of us, cars are our biggest expense next to our homes, and they are money guzzlers. From the cost of buying one to the money that goes into maintenance and repairs, it seems like it's always something. And if if you're not financially prepared, they can put you or keep you deep in debt. For the longest time, this was the story of my life. I never thought far enough ahead to plan for these things and never had the money when they went from being things I needed to think about to emergencies I had to deal with on the spot in the midst of lots of stress and no resources. If you want to know more about my personal experiences in this arena, listen to the financial horror story episode from October of last year. You'll probably get some laughs from it, but hopefully it saves some of you from making the same mistakes I did. So on this episode, I want to share some things I've learned the hard way and what I do differently now to keep car emergencies to a minimum. One of the first things I began budgeting for were oil changes. It only took me about three or four experiences to finally get it through my thick head. See, at that point, my budget was based only on monthly expenses. I wasn't thinking beyond that, and therefore it didn't occur to me to plan for expenses that were sure to come, just not on a monthly basis. So after about the fourth time that Scott said it's time for an oil change and I had to stress and struggle to come up with the money because it wasn't in the budget, I finally learned to plan for the non-monthly expenses too. Actually, it was after reading the book, You Need a Budget, that this became crystal clear. That's right. The creator of my favorite budgeting app, YNAB, also wrote a book, and his ideas really changed my whole outlook on budgeting. I highly recommend the book to anyone who is struggling with budgeting or managing your money in any way. It's You Need a Budget by Jesse Meekum, and you can find a link to it on the books page of my website at sensiblechat.com. Anyway, from that point forward, I began saving money each month for oil changes. We were paying $60 per oil change every three months, so I saved $20 a month. The feeling of being able to pay for that oil change when it came time with no stress was amazing. From there, I started to think about what else we should plan ahead for. And I'll admit, some popped into my head at inopportune times, like the day the battery died on my car two hours before the battery died in Scott's car. Unbelievable. Of course, it's not typical for the batteries on two cars to die on the same day, but replacing a battery is something every car owner is going to have to deal with at some point. What else is inevitably going to have to be repaired or replaced when you own a car? 
brakes, tires, windshield wipers, oil filters, air filters, antifreeze. And then, of course, there are the major and minor tune-ups that keep your car in good working condition. Add to that any major repairs that could become an issue as your car begins to age, like a new transmission, axles, boots, the possibilities are endless. And don't forget your annual car registration, plus, depending on where you live, those pesky smog checks. Now, I don't say this to stress you out, but rather to help you understand the importance of a car maintenance fund. It's easy to plan for the consistent things like oil changes, registration, and smog checks, but the rest of it is a bit harder because you never know when it's going to happen. But the point is, it will happen sooner or later. So make sure you're saving enough for the guaranteed expenses and as much on top of that as you can so that when the unexpected but inevitable happens, you're ready for it. Now, certainly if you have a newer car, you're probably going to have less repairs, which is good because you may be trying to make a car payment as well. But isn't it funny how as soon as that car is paid off, things start breaking on it more frequently? So annoying. So how much is enough? I've scoured the internet for answers to this question, and it really does depend on who you ask. I've gotten everything from $500 to $2,000 per year, depending on the make, model, and age of your car. Personally, I save $100 per month for my 2012 Hyundai Sonata, and so far, it's served me pretty well. But it's really going to be trial and error to find out what works for you. I think the most important thing is that you choose a set amount and save that amount each month. Treat it like a bill and keep it separate so that you can't spend it on something else. If you're lucky enough that your car fund starts to build to a healthy amount before you need it, you may be tempted to use it for something else. But beware, I've done this, and every time I do, I get hit with a big repair bill right after I've pillaged that fund for something else. Think twice. If you're unlucky enough that you don't get time to build a healthy amount before something big happens, you may be frustrated having to come up with the rest of the money elsewhere. But just remember that some is better than none. You're farther ahead than you would have been if you'd saved nothing. And even if you have to go into debt to pay the rest, it's less debt to pay off than it would have been. So keep your head up, pay off the debt as soon as you can, and keep saving for the next unexpected certainty that is car maintenance. Now let's talk a bit about car loans. Most of us feel like they're a necessary evil, but are they? This is a personal choice, and certainly there are times when it's the best decision given your circumstances, but not necessarily. So take the time to think it through before you make your decision. Do you need a car that costs enough to necessitate a car loan? Or is it possible to find a car that meets your needs that you can pay for with cash? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying buy a $1,000 car that will run for three weeks and then die on the side of the road. I've gone to that extreme and it's not worth it. But I've also known people who bought affordable, dependable cars for well under $10,000 and they lasted quite a while and they were able to pay cash. I know it's hard to believe that you could actually pay for a car with cash, but here's how they did it. Once they paid off their current car loan, they began saving what used to be their car payment toward their next car. So by the time they needed another one, they had a big chunk of cash waiting to make that purchase. If you do this, maybe you'll be able to save enough to fund the entire purchase of your next car. Maybe not. But even if you can't save the entire amount in time, it will greatly cut down on the amount you have to finance. 
And shop around. You may be surprised at the deals you can find if you give yourself some time. And if you can take a big chunk of cash to a dealership and tell them what you want and exactly how much you have to spend, you've got a great chance of staying within your budget. But I'm going to let our guest professor tell you more about that. Okay, class, Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Hugh Allen, General Manager at Epic Auto, a family-owned car dealership and brokerage service that helps clients buy and sell their cars at the best price with the least amount of stress. Hugh, thanks for being our guest professor today. Bobby, thank you for having me on. You know, I got to tell you, car shopping is not my most favorite experience. Most of the time that I've had to go and buy a car, it is out of necessity. And I usually don't have the money that I would like for the car of my dreams. So I'm going more for the best price, right? But you can't sacrifice quality for price because then you end up, you know, with the whole you buy cheap, you get cheap thing. So where do we find the balance between getting a quality vehicle at an affordable price and buying cheap, which could cost us more in the long run? Bobby, it's a great question and a situation that most Americans find themselves in when it comes time to get their next vehicle. So to try to, I guess, break down the scenario you just explained, I mean, my first suggestion is, you know, to plan for the next vehicle so that you're not having to buy it because you have nothing to get to work in or nothing to take the kids to school in, that you put yourself in a position where You can take action when you need to, but you're not under stress to. So how do you know when that is? Because, I mean, obviously, we would rather not drive our cars into the ground until we are under that, you know, emergency necessity. But we also don't want to get rid of them if they have a lot of life left. So most of us aren't very good at knowing when that is. Do you have any tips to kind of tell us what kind of things alert you to the fact that it might be time? Sure. Now, obviously, everyone's situation is different. So I'm just going to speak generally here. But the reality is, in my eyes, there's no real benefit to drive it till the wheels fall off unless the person is a mechanic and they can do the work themselves. Because what happens is at a certain point, the car just has no more value. And literally, you'll end up spending money on repairs where the repairs are worth more than the vehicle. Definitely. At that point, Unless it's an extra car that you have some emotional attachment to, there's no good reason to continue down that path. So, I mean, kind of what I'm going back to is you've got a plan for it. You've got a plan for, hey, you know what? When I'm in the point of somewhere between, a, for some people, it might be 120 to 150,000 miles. You know, when 120 comes around... I need to start putting away some money so that by the time it gets to 150, it still has some life in it where someone will actually want it and buy it versus driving it to 205 or 210 and it being completely worthless. Yeah. And that brings up a good point. I mean, you've kind of just touched on that a little bit, but, you know, it used to be kind of 100,000 was a rule of thumb. And now so many cars are living way past that. We have some cars that can get, you know, 300,000 miles on them. So when is the best time to turn that in? And also on the flip side, how do you consider how much mileage should be on a car that you're going to purchase as a used car? It's a good question because mileage is not the same on every vehicle. 
I've seen cars with 30, 40,000 miles on them that look like they've lived a hard life. And I've seen cars with 200,000 miles on them that you would think were, you know, pulled just off the showroom floor. So condition is key. I mean, that's a big part into making a buying decision for a vehicle because miles don't always tell the, the true story. I've got a a mechanic in my business referral group that, you know, he kind of broke that down in his presentation that, you know, somebody that drives on the freeway at four o'clock in the morning, yeah, they might pack a lot of miles on their car, but it's not the same as somebody who's driving in bumper to bumper traffic, you know, 15 miles each way every day. It's breaking down the suspension components, wearing out tires, brakes in a different fashion than a vehicle that's constantly moving. So, With that said, the condition is almost as important as the mileage, if not more. The reality is that once the mileage goes past 150,000 miles, the average consumer isn't really going to be interested in that vehicle because they have the mindset that, oh my gosh, this thing is two blocks away from being worthless, where based on how that car has been kept, I mean, it might have another 100,000 miles in it. Is it a good idea then to, if you're buying it from a dealership, they're going to tell you that it's been checked out and everything, but can you go and get it checked out for yourself or is that allowed in the car buying process? It sure is. As a matter of fact, there's a sign on my wall in my office. I'm not quoting it exactly, but it's like the prospective buyer may request to have a mechanic inspect the vehicle on or off the dealership premises. Now, the dealership doesn't have to allow it, but as a consumer, I would be concerned if I'm interested in buying a car and, you know, kind of the next decision for me to move forward is to have a professional examine it. I mean, that'd be a red flag to me if the person selling the car would not allow it to be inspected. So after we have gotten an inspection and we've decided that this might be the car that we want to buy, it seems like the dealership always asks if you want the extended warranty. And I have heard so many different sides to this debate. Do we need the warranty or is it a sucker bet? There are benefits to the extended warranty. Because it's going to provide coverage for some type of mechanical failure. The thing you have to weigh is, based on the condition of the vehicle and the expected reliability of that vehicle, the maintenance costs, what are they going to look like, and how much is the cost of the warranty? What I'm trying to say is, you know, if you have, like most people in their minds, they think of the Honda Accord as being a very reliable vehicle. And if they're offering you an extended warranty on a Honda Accord that's in great shape presently and you do regular maintenance on your car and they want to charge a price that far exceeds what would be anything other than a freak mechanical failure, probably not worth it. Now, I will also say this, that most warranties, most extended warranties are underwritten by insurance companies. And they look at, okay, certain vehicles, certain age and mileage, what's the likelihood that a part is going to break on there and what it would cost to repair. So you don't have to get the extended warranty through the dealer. You can go on the internet, 
do a Google search of extended warranties, pull up five different companies and call them for quotes. Well, that's really great to know because so many times we feel like, oh, gosh, if we don't do it now, we can't do it at all. We can't come back. You know, you're under pressure. So that's great to know that you can do it after the fact. You certainly can. And I'm not saying this is the situation at all dealerships, but chances are if the dealership is offering you an extended warranty, they probably get paid by that company for the warranties that they offer. They're marking them up. You know what I mean? So they're they're almost a middleman in that scenario. Whereas if you get it directly, you can possibly save that middleman cost. Now, how do I come to the table prepared so that I don't get sold a bunch of extras? Because, you know, there's always the standard and then, you know, do you want this or do you want that? Do you want these extras? And, you know, when you go to a car dealership, I've heard a lot of times that it's easy for us, most of us, to fall into saying yes to a lot of the extras because when you're looking at buying a car, which is a very large purchase, the extras that they're putting on don't seem like very much on top of the purchase of the entire car. So it seems like maybe in the moment, you know, we can feel pressured to buy a lot of extra stuff that we don't need. So is there a way that we can plan ahead of time so that we know exactly what we want so we don't fall into getting pressured into a bunch of extras we don't need? Sure. I mean, to be clear about your budget, that's for one. I mean, about what you are planning to spend either in cash or on a monthly basis for your vehicle. So, I mean, that's the, sorry, that's kind of like the line in the sand right there. But I mean, if someone's offering you something extra, you really have to weigh out, is it worth it? There are tons of different things that people could offer. I mean, they could offer low jack, you know, to protect against theft, or I guess to be able to quickly recover your vehicle, an extended warranty. You could also, in some cases, prepay maintenance costs on the vehicle, which in some cases isn't a bad idea because you get it at a discount. Like They'll actually show you, okay, this is what these scheduled maintenance trips cost. And by prepaying them, you get them at a certain discount. I mean, in some ways, well, if you're getting it at a discount and it's something that you need to do to keep your car running, that's worth considering. But you have to be in line with your budget to start. And two, it's like, do I really need this? Right. Because that's the thing. I mean, if you didn't come in thinking that you were going to ask for something, then chances are you probably don't need it. But I guess it just when it comes to things like, I don't know, there's there's different things that I hear people talk about that, like you were talking about the low jack and they, they get you with these kind of things that are like safety issues, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those, I would assume, are things, again, that you could add on after the fact later on after you had a chance to kind of look more into them, right? You certainly could. I mean, I I can say this, that you can go to Walmart and for probably about $20, you can get a steering wheel lock, which that by itself is a very good theft deterrent because, I mean, if a criminal is looking to steal a car and they see it's got a steering wheel lock on it, chances are they're just going to move on to the next car. They're not going to sit there and try to figure out, hmm, what can I do to get this one and get that steering wheel lock off? They're just going to move on. That's 20 bucks versus a few hundred or even a thousand or more. 
Now, let's talk about the financing versus cash, because a lot of times people feel like cash is always king. And if I can pay cash, I'm going to get a better deal. But on the other hand, a lot of dealerships make their money on the financing. So are you going to get a better deal if you finance or a better deal if you pay cash as the consumer? It's a great question. There are just certain things a person has to consider. It's like, I think of it like this. If I have an opportunity, let's say, to buy a car as a consumer and I can get a very low interest rate, 2 3%, which there are dealerships and car manufacturers that have rates that low on some of their used products, you know, always dependent on approved credit. If I can borrow money from them at 2 or 3%, I'm probably going to borrow it from them and my money that I have, I will have it invest in something to make more money. So there is a breaking point, or you could say there's a tipping point where if the rate they want to charge you is too high and you have the cash available, then it's to your benefit to pay in cash. I mean, it, it all depends on you know how disciplined you are with your money. You know, if you're disciplined enough to say, hey, look, I'm going to finance the car because I get this low rate and I'm going to invest my money. Great. Do it. If you know you don't have that discipline and you'll end up just spending that money on something else, you probably should just go ahead and pay cash. (laughs) Right. And that brings up another interesting point. I was having this discussion with someone the other day because basically what I'm talking about is the full dollar amount of the car. Like, are you going to get a better price tag on the car overall? But this person was saying that she actually had to buy a car recently and the car salesman did not want to discuss the total price of the car. They only wanted to discuss the monthly payment. And so how do you separate the actual cost of the car from the financing and find out what you're actually paying for the car? Because it sounded like she, you know, was trying to get the actual price of the car, but they were only talking about the monthly. Yeah. And then. If you're dealing with a dealer that is not openly sharing the terms of the agreement until you sign it, you know what? You need to move on to another dealer. There's no need for cloak and dagger, hidden negotiation. It's like, okay, if they can't tell you clearly what the price of the car is and how much they're going to charge you to borrow money, leave. They're not the only game in town. Is there a lot of variation in the cost of, I mean, especially when we're talking about used cars, there would have to be, but all things being equal, would the same car cost the same at any given dealership? That's a great question. I mean, there there are a variety of factors that can influence what they can charge for that vehicle. So I'm just going to focus on two right here. It's the cost of acquisition, which is hey, you know what? If that dealer took that car in on trade and now they've put it up for sale and they got it at a great price, you know what? They can sell it for less and still have a good margin and still be profitable as a dealership. And that does happen. I mean, people will buy cars, they trade in another vehicle. And if they're not fully aware of the value of their car, they may not get what they should for their trade-in. And now this dealership Maybe they got a $10,000 car for $5,000 and well now they can put it up for $8,000 and be less than the rest of the market. That's possible. The other 
instance or factor is every business has overhead. And that overhead is a cost that drains profitability for a dealership. And the reality is when you see ads on TV, you hear ads on the radio from a dealership. Well, they paid for them. And that's to attract your attention to get you to come in. But ultimately, that adds to the price of the vehicle. I mean, it's not like it's a a hidden cost, but I mean, it's part of the cost of doing business. So the more overhead a dealership has, well, they have to recoup it somehow to be profitable. That really brings up the need for somebody to, if they're going to trade in a car like you were talking about, they should really make sure that they know the value of that car ahead of time. Is it enough to do that through an online website like Kelly Blue Book, or is it better to go to like a mechanic, or are there people who specialize in kind of reviewing your car and telling you what it's worth before you trade it in? There are a couple things that I would recommend. Basically, when you're looking to trade in your car, in a sense, you're selling your car to a dealership when you trade it in. And you want to put yourself in the best position possible. And the reason I bring that up is that if your car looks raggedy, doesn't look well kept, or it's got check engine lights on, you're not going to get the maximum value for your vehicle because they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, wow, this car hasn't been taken care of. Why would we pay decent money for it? So the first thing I would recommend is to get your car cleaned up before you go in to either trade it in or look to get an offer on your vehicle. If your car looks great and it runs well, you're going to get more money for it. I mean, and some things potentially could be easy fixes to prepare the car for sale. I'm not telling people to spend, you know, thousands of dollars to prepare their car for sale, but I'm saying, hey, make it look good. And if it has a check engine light or tire pressure light or a warning light, hey, run by your mechanic and say, hey, you know, what would it cost to take care of this? Yep. Those are the times, you know, spending money can make you money in the long run. Definitely. It it, it certainly can. And you can get offers from more than one place. I mean, CarMax advertises, hey, we'll buy your car whether you buy ours or not. So you can take it to CarMax and get a competitive offer. And if, you know, when you go to another dealership, you know, looking to trade in your vehicle, if they offer you less, you can just show them, hey, look, I got this offer from CarMax. And you know what? If you can't match it or beat it, I'm going to sell it to them. And then I'll come back and see if I buy your car. Just the same that you do the research about what's a competitive price for a vehicle you're purchasing, you can do the same research to find out, hey, what is my car worth in the marketplace? You know, go to Auto Trader, go to Car Gurus and take a look to see what similar vehicles are selling for. It's not to say that you're going to get that exact money, but at least you know, hey, what the range is. So is it better to sell your car to a dealership rather than doing it private party? Because, you know, a lot of times you hear that the dealership's probably not going to give you as much as you might be able to get private party, but it's going to be maybe quicker, uh, more streamlined. What are some of the pros and cons of each of those? Well, the timeliness, because when you put a car up for sale and you're trying to sell it private party, you've got to find the person that wants the car that you have, and they have the available funds to pay for it. Now, it's one thing if your car is only worth three or $4,000. Well, you know, there's probably a good pool of people that can afford that. You know, if your car is worth $10,000 or more, which isn't uncommon for a used vehicle, 
that potential buyer needs to have that money prepared to purchase it. And the more valuable your trade-in, the more challenging it might be to find someone that can afford the exact car that you have. And some people, I mean, they don't like dealing with the general public to sell a car. They don't know what questions to ask or how to prepare themselves to sell their vehicle. And there could also be things that they're not aware of that come back to bite them, too. I mean, I've heard of situations where when you sell private party, if you don't do the right things through the DMV, even though you sold that car, you may still be responsible for it and not even know it. Is that right? It certainly is possible. I mean, when you sell a vehicle in California, on most titles at the very top, it says notice of release of liability. That's supposed to be filled out and submitted when you sell a car to a private party. I mean, the DMV has actually put it on their website so you can complete it electronically so you don't even have to put a stamp on it and mail it in. Now, there are also places like AAA where, you know, if you've got a AAA membership and you have the title for your vehicle, you can go into AAA and they will do the reassignment and put the registration in the buyer's name on the spot. Another factor to consider about trading in a vehicle versus selling it private party, it's much easier to sell a car private party if you have the title for it. I mean, that transfer can be done pretty easily. Now, it is different when you're still paying on the vehicle because, I mean, if you're a buyer for a car that someone is selling and they don't have the title for it, How are you going to be reassured that you give them money and you get the title later? I mean, yeah, I didn't even know people did that. Like was trying to sell their car without a title. Yeah. I mean, it it does happen. I mean, and I think some of the car companies, you can reassign the title. Like there's a form that can be submitted to reassign the title to a party that's buying the car. But I mean, those are things people don't think about. Can you do that at a dealership? Like, would a dealership take your car and take over the payments if you didn't own the car? They can. I mean, I I ran into this scenario myself. I had bought a car and I think maybe just two or three years later, I wanted to get an SUV and I was still paying on my car. As a matter of fact, the amount that I owed on the car was more than what the dealership had offered me as trade-in value. And so what they did is they added to the cost of the truck I was buying the difference between the trade-in value and what is owed or what is called negative equity. I was paying for the SUV, and in some ways I was still paying for the car that I traded in. Not something that I would advise, you know what I mean? But you, you live and you learn. So now, how do you help with the buying and selling process? Tell us why it's worth it to pay you as a professional who has all this knowledge rather than trying to go about this process all on our own. Well, I'll say this, that I know the questions to ask. That's really where it starts from. I mean, basically anyone could go out and buy a car, but they don't know the questions to ask to make sure they're getting the right car for the right price. So, I mean... Where it starts with me, when somebody wants me to find a car for them, I talk to them about, okay, what do you plan to use it for? How long do you keep it for? Have you already prepared your finances to pay for it in cash? Or have you gone to your bank or credit union to find out what you can be approved for, the dollar amount? 
and what the interest rate would be, you know, so that you're pre-qualified. You're not waiting till you get to the dealership to find out if you're approved or what rate it'll be at. You find out ahead of time. And, you know, based on the answers to those questions, then I can come up with some recommendations for vehicles that fit. And so you discuss with the person what they're looking for and what their budget is and everything. And then you go and find a few cars in their price range. Is this just local, national? How does that work? I mean, if somebody is in Minnesota and you're in California, can you still provide this service for them? I've helped people all over the country get vehicles. My search work primarily is online in terms of finding vehicles, whether it's through a private party, through another dealership. I'm a Carfax dealer, so I run the Carfax reports to see the history, what states it's been in, how it's been serviced, if there are any reported accidents, things of that nature, if we're talking about used vehicles. The biggest part about buying a car is getting the right car. Getting the right car and then getting it for the right price. And there are a lot of factors that go into what the right car is for the person. I know for some people who are car shopping, it's important for them that they buy a car from an American manufacturer. You know, the typical Chevy, Ford, Dodge, or Ram. And that may be more important than the depreciation costs of the vehicle or the resale value. Everybody's situation is different. And for some folks, it could be being able to have a vehicle with very low maintenance costs. For others, it might be a car that gives them a joyful, emotional experience when they drive it or when they look at it. I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong, but we kind of need to establish from the beginning what is important as well as, hey, what's the budget that we're working with to make sure that we're on the same page as far as being able to deliver what they want. Absolutely. Let's talk about how you get paid, because what I want to find out is it sounds like there is no vested interest for you in selling a certain car off of your lot. You will make money on the service, so you have a vested interest in getting the best car for that person. Is that right? That's correct. I'm a licensed car broker here in California. So that's a license from the DMV to transact business with other dealerships with clients to be able to refer them clients at their dealership. And the way that I work, I do not charge a fee to my customers unless I find the car they end up purchasing. Really? I mean, that's the way that I've operated from day one. And Obviously, there are times where, you know, when you have a situation like that, you can have people that aren't honest or ethical. But for the most part, it's worked out. That's great. Is it like a percentage of the car they end up buying or how does your fee work? Uh, Good question, because it differs by broker, (laughs) you know, how they charge or assess their fee. So when I got into this, the way I thought it through is, you know, people are paying me for my time. And I know for myself, I don't want to be charged more money just because I'm buying a more expensive car. I mean, if the work is the same to buy a Mercedes E-Class new versus a used Honda Civic, if the work is the same, there's no reason as a consumer I should be paying more. So for that reason, I just charge a flat fee 
to broker cars for people. I mean, it, the rate starts at $350, whether it's a new or used vehicle. And that's up to five hours of my time working with the customer and searching for their vehicle. And I say it starts at $350 because there are cases where people want services beyond what's standard. Like for instance, if they want me to go and look at the vehicle for them. Now I'm not a mechanic, but I can go look, I can drive the car, I can give them my opinion on the condition of the vehicle. And for that, I mean, I'm going to charge for my travel time and going to look at that vehicle. Or if someone wants me to do a very extensive search for a car that might be in some cases rare, it's not like your standard Honda Accord or Toyota Corolla that there are plenty of them in the marketplace. It might be a car that they are only five across the country. Well, then there's a different schedule and a different fees assessed for that. But pretty much for most of the people I deal with and the cars that they're looking for, it's a flat rate of $350. And in most cases, I save people more on their car than my fees. So it's almost like in some ways they're, they're getting my, my services for free or at no additional cost to them. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of thought, because, you know, a lot of times when you're in a mindset of I came from a poor mindset, so everything additional when it's like it seems like a convenience charge, it just seems like, well, that's something that I can't afford. That's for people who have the money to have somebody else, quote, do the work for them. But what we're talking about here is the quality of your knowledge that can get, again, the quality and affordability that we're looking for rather than us going in blind and, you know, kind of hoping for the best and ending up spending a lot more in one way or another than you could save us a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of stress. Sure. I mean, when I call a dealership and I'm, you know, finding out about a car for a customer and I tell them I'm a broker, they know that if they don't give me the best deal, I'm going to go look in some other places. Yeah. And you've got experience with so many of these people and they trust you. So yeah, you, you're going to be able to make a lot better deals than we will a lot of the time. That's for sure. Now, do you also provide the same service for selling cars? I do help people sell their personal vehicle and I do help people get personal cars as well as commercial vehicles as well. So, okay, let's talk about uh, how people get in touch with you then if they want to find out more about you or get in contact with you. Great. People can call me directly. My telephone number is 844-437-4228. And that rings directly to my cell phone. And I look forward to speaking with folks to be able to help them on their car search or with their next vehicle. The vehicles that I have in my inventory that I sell to the public, people can look at those on my website, which is epicauto.us. So E-P-I-C-A-U-T-O dot U-S. EpicAuto.us. And I did go to your website the other day. And what I thought was great is that you have vehicles that are kind of all over the map as far as dollar amounts. Because I was wondering, is this only going to be for if I want to pay 20000 for a used car? But no, you, you have a lot of affordable vehicles, no matter what affordable means to you. Yeah, most of the vehicles I carry are between four dollars and $14,000, which is kind of the the sweet spot of affordability, you know, for blue collar and and middle America. I mean, those are cars that most people can work out a budget or if they have 
good credit that they can get approved on a loan for. That's wonderful. What a great service. And Hugh, I really appreciate all the information that you've shared with us today. I want everybody to go to epicauto.us, epicauto.us, and check out his website. And you can get all the information there. And we're going to put a link to that on our website as well. Hugh, thanks so much once again for joining us today and being our guest professor. All right. Thank you so much, Bobby. I do appreciate it. Our guest professor today has been Hugh Allen, General Manager at Epic Auto. You can visit his website at epicauto.us for more information on how he can help you buy a car without getting taken for a ride. It's nice to know that the next time I have to shop for a car, I can call Hugh and let him do all the groundwork for me and save me some money in the process. Remember, if you're in the market for a car, make sure you get what you need, not what someone tells you you need. I hate feeling pressured by all those extras they want you to buy. But like Hugh said, you can always add on later. In fact, try making a list of what they offer and the price tag for each one. Then take your list home, consider whether you really want or need the feature or service. And if you do, go online and see if you can find a better deal. If not, head back to the car lot and make the purchase. But at least this way you've made an informed decision that was thought through, not a spur-of-the-moment pressured purchase. Those are the most common cause of buyer's remorse. Good luck and happy car shopping. If you value the green, if you save as you go, your wealth is closer than it seems, and you can make that cash Welcome to Saving Secrets, where we share super easy and ready-to-use savings tips you may not have heard before. If you've got saving secrets you'd like to share, email me, bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com, and I'll share your tip in an upcoming episode. Today's saving secret is... Make extra credit card payments. This tip was shared by my favorite CPA, Michelle Kagan. She writes about it in her book, Budgeting 101. Here's what it says, quote, Make payments as early and as often as you can to make your average daily balance lower. Instead of making one big payment on the due date, split it up into two or more payments sent earlier in the month. For example, say your last balance was $2,500 and you plan to pay $500 this month. If your card has a 30-day billing period and you make one payment on the 25th day, your average daily balance would be about $2,416. But if instead you paid $250 on day 10 and another $250 on day 25, your average daily balance would drop to $2,292. That simple change can reduce your interest charges every month. End quote. Thanks for the tip, Michelle. What a great way to save without even increasing your monthly payment. I love her book, Budgeting 101. For more of her great tips, check out the Budgeting 101 episode of this podcast from January of this year. That's your saving secret for today. If you've got one to share, email me, bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at sensiblechat.com. In this episode, we covered how to buy a car without getting taken for a ride. Next, we need to talk about how to protect it without breaking the bank. So on the next episode, we'll chat with Andrew Rose, president and CEO of Compare.com, about how to save on car insurance. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave a rating and review for this podcast. I'd love to know what you think. 
Until next time, keep spending and saving the sensible way. That wraps up another episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to her through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 